The reading this morning comes from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26, and you'll find this on page 1066 of the Church Bible. John 4, beginning at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, 
he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. And it'd be great if you had that passage in front of you um, as we look at it together. I'm just going to pray before we start. Father, may we today be worshippers that worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that as we look at your word together, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things, wonderful truth, and that our lives would be changed by you. Amen. We all know, don't we, that a baby needs nothing more than to be fed, to be changed, and to be cuddled. And when they're tiny, it seems like they are just constantly hungry. A few minutes, they're satisfied, they're full, they're sleepy, then all over again, they're crying for more, never content for that long. And for children, things change slightly, don't they? We imagine as children that we'll be absolutely content when we've got the full set of Star Wars Lego or the bike that we long for. And yet next birthday or next Christmas, out comes that long list of all the toys we think we need. As teenagers, perhaps we long for freedom. When we leave home and we're independent and we can drive We can make our own decisions. Then everything is going to be fantastic. And yet often we find ourselves restless. We haven't got the money for the car that we dreamt about. Our friendships are up and down and things can't settle. Maybe in our 20s we long to get a proper job. We long to finish our studies. Maybe meet someone we can spend the rest of our lives with. And then we'll just be complete and we can really relax and enjoy life. And then as we get older, we think perhaps, oh, it'll all be fine when we've paid off the mortgage. It'll all be fine when the children are grown up and finished their education or we can retire. Then everything will be great. Don't you think that we are all at one stage or the other looking forward and wanting to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the right season and the right stuff that we have or with the right people in our lives. And in this chapter, in John 4, Jesus encounters a woman whose life probably and almost definitely has not gone as perhaps she'd like. She's been looking for love and investing in relationships for many years, and yet those relationships seem in whatever way to have been a disappointment, to have not brought satisfaction and contentment. She appears to be someone in society that has been rejected, that has been left at the bottom of the heap, has very little to her name. She's lonely, she's unloved, and she carries the pain of the past heavily as she walks to and fro to the well for water, at a time of day when she can avoid the rest of the villagers and perhaps the rest of the women who she thinks have got everything sorted. She's someone people judge 
whose life people talk about, whose relationships are broken and whose choices have left her empty and isolated. And yet, it is this woman that the Lord Jesus encounters on his journey. It's this woman that he encounters, not by accident, but as he makes a purposeful visit to see and have a conversation with her. And it's this conversation, difficult at times, that brings about a transformation and that sends her running off to the village to share with others all that she's seen and heard. So this encounter that she has is purposeful, it's challenging, and it's transforming. Firstly, it's purposeful. This passage tells us Jesus had to go through Samaria to order to get to Galilee. But in fact, in terms of geography, he really didn't. You see, Jews and Samaritans didn't get on. Samaritans were Jews who'd intermarried with the Syrians who were enemies of Israel and who, which went against God's law for them. They only valued the first five books of the Jewish scripture, so their knowledge of God was limited. They built their own temple. They mixed with other religions and they didn't live as God intended. So pure Jews considered the Samaritans racially and religiously unclean. So Jesus could have done what most Jews would do and avoid Samaria, cross the Jordan away from Samaria and take a longer route to Galilee. But Jesus is not like other Jews. He did not avoid Samaria. He deliberately travelled there because he had a really important appointment to keep. An important appointment with a woman. A woman at a well who went to collect water in the heat of the day rather than when it was cooler and everyone else went because she was a woman others didn't want to hang out with. She was a woman with an unacceptable number of husbands and divorces. She was immoral. She was dirty and damaged. But this woman, whom people would go out of the way to avoid, was so important to Jesus that not only did he purposefully travel to Sychar to sit on the side of a well and have a life-changing conversation with her, but he sent all his disciples off shopping so that he and she could talk. His opening question would have been a shocker to the woman. Verse 7 says, Will you give me a drink? A man asking a woman for a drink, a Jew asking a Samaritan for a drink, and more than that, an immoral woman. For Jews, Jesus would have been made unclean just by touching the water from the bucket of a Samaritan. But Jesus is not like other Jews, or indeed like any other person, because his touch makes what is unclean clean. This encounter from the start had purpose. And Jesus' opening question, which so threw the woman, was purposeful too because it opened up a discussion that was to come. She couldn't believe that this respectable Jewish man was asking her for a drink. And he pursues her deliberately. He wants to know because he wants to offer her the greatest gift that God can give. He wants her life to be changed. He doesn't reject her because of her past or ignore her as insignificant but graciously, lovingly, purposefully wants to spend time with her. And so too, Jesus purposefully seeks us out because no one is insignificant to him and no one is too messed up for him. 
His love and his healing extends to all people, and he longs to be in our company. But he doesn't just long to be in our company, he longs to be in the company of our neighbours and our friends, those that are in trouble, those that we look down on, those that don't seem to fit that nice circle of friends that we have. Jesus is not like anyone else because he is God who died purposefully and deliberately on a cross that all might be forgiven and that we might have life and welcomed into his company. Secondly, this encounter is a challenging one. The conversation isn't easy. The woman doesn't understand Jesus' offer of living water. She even challenges him to justify himself, not imagining he could possibly be greater than Jacob, who dug the well. But he continues with this unbelievable claim that the water he is offering her will quench the thirst completely of all who drink. No wonder she responds so eagerly by saying, give me the water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The water Jesus offers her would remove a whole host of problems. In a land where water is scarce and precious and thirst is an ongoing reality, she's offered water that means she's no longer going to be thirsty. She wouldn't have to keep walking backwards and forwards in the heat of the day or feel the public humiliation of women who watch her pass by. But she doesn't understand. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, challenging her beyond what she could possibly imagine. Go, call your husband and come back. How does he know she was married, know her life, her history, her pain, her struggles, her sadness? He knows that she's had five men in her life before the man she's currently with. He knows, and yet he's talking to her, imagining how she would have felt as Jesus reveals everything that he knows everything about her. You see, Jesus knows this woman, this broken woman, is desperately thirsty. She's thirsty for a different life. She's sought satisfaction and fulfillment in her relationships, from sex, from intimacy with numerous men. But to no avail. Her desire to be content is a thirst that continues to dominate her life. And by drawing attention to her previous husbands, Jesus not only shows her that he isn't just a man who's passing by, but as he explains right at the end of the passage in verse 26, He's the Messiah, the Chosen One, God himself. Not only that, he demonstrates his knowledge of her life. As he does that, he communicates his love, his gracious acceptance of her despite her sin as they sit together. In September 2019, in Singapore, the new iPhone 11 was launched. Overnight, hundreds of people queued to be first in line at the Apple store to update their phone. People camped out with sleeping bags, waiting to own the best phone on the market. And in London, a day later on Regent Street, the same thing happened. People were queuing for their new purchase. Now, we might sit here maybe a little smugly thinking, that's ridiculous. We're not like that. We wouldn't dream of doing that. But surely this obsession with the newest, the best, the latest gadget 
is somewhat symptomatic of that raging thirst in the world for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for having the best, for feeling content. And we either find it in stuff, or we find it in people, or we think we do. We may not need the latest gadget, but perhaps we pour all our energy into our family, into relationships, our jobs, saving for our holidays, our money, or even, do, dare I say it, even church. Perhaps we think if we do those things, we will find peace, contentment, and satisfaction, and yet we still want more. One writer says this, that to try and quench thirst with things of the world is like unfortunate sailors who, when they're famished, let themselves drink of the ocean, only to find themselves more wretched than they could have imagined. Or perhaps it's like the joy of having an amazing Chinese takeaway. We order it, we wait for it, we anticipate it, and we can't wait for our favourite dishes to be laid out before us in all their tinfoil glory. And we tuck in and we feast. But we all know that the thing about a Chinese meal is no matter how much we eat, we will always be hungry again, much sooner than we think. Jesus knows the woman has given her life to finding love, to finding fulfilment in relationships that have really let her down. He knows she bears the scars of a broken heart and a wounded spirit. And his challenge to her is not to force her to feel shame, but help her to see that what she needs is living water, water that Jesus offers so she may never be thirsty again and can have the wonderful confidence of eternal life to come. He wants her to be saved. Verse 22 says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He wants her to be a true worshipper, one that worships and knows the Father and worships in spirit and truth. One that knows who it is that stands in front of her, that knows Jesus himself. She doesn't know much about God's word. She knows little about Jesus. But this challenge to her is because he knows that should she drink the water he offers, she will find fulfillment and satisfaction as she worships God, knowing him, trusting him for all he offers. Where is Jesus challenging you and me today? Where is it that you put your time and your energy and your heart in order to find satisfaction and fulfillment? Do you feel like you're always looking at that next stage of life or the next thing to do or to, to gather in order to be at peace? Do you feel disappointed, let down, broken and sad? If only this would happen, all would be well. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And do you long for your thirst to be quenched by the living water that only Jesus provides. We all struggle in some way with this. And we're all in no doubt aware of the challenge of Jesus to look to him for living water and nowhere else. But the beautiful thing is that the living water Jesus offers brings transformation and deep and overwhelming joy. 
And he doesn't just want it to give it to the Samaritan woman, he wants to give that to you and I. So the last thing is that this is a transforming encounter. An 18th century advert for Waters in Bath claimed that they could cure forgetfulness, the pox, lethargies, the scratch, and rooms. Now, I'm not entirely sure what all those are, and I don't really think I want to know, although a class to aid by forgetfulness might not go amiss. But we no doubt know about their healing properties because it was renowned and fashionable for patients and characters in Austin novels to come and take the waters of Bath for their health to in some way be restored. Jesus' offer to the woman at the well and his offer to us is not because he has a temporary or semi-permanent way of making us feel a little bit better about ourselves. It's because he has a wonderful, permanent, everlasting, ever-renewing, completely satisfying gift. And that gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit of God himself. That is the living water. That is the water that she should receive to become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Holy Spirit, a permanent free gift given graciously by the Lord Jesus that brings healing to broken lives, forgiveness to sinful lives and hope to disappointed lives. When we drink of the water of the Spirit that Jesus offers, when we receive his Spirit into our lives, everything changes. Life begins to burst through like a bubbling, effervescent spring. As long as we continually drink of the Spirit of God, that deepest part of us will be satisfied. Our hopes, our fears, our sadnesses, our despair, our, trans our, our disappointment, our dreams will be transformed because we will be satisfied in Christ himself through the power and through the presence of his spirit living within us. And we all know, don't we, how easy it is to drift away from the one who provides life. We're so easily tempted to turn to the world again for what we think we need, to listen to the wrong voices, to just ignore Jesus' invitation to come and to drink. But in those times, we can have the confidence that we have the presence of the Spirit within us. He is there. He's not absent. And we can turn again to him and keep drinking and keep coming and finding satisfaction in him. Jesus' call on the Samaritan woman was to keep drinking, to be dependent on him alone for complete satisfaction to be dependent on him alone for the promise of eternal life, with the one who's done everything necessary that we might come into his kingdom. Now, the woman's life was turned upside down by this encounter, and the bit we didn't read was the bit where she runs to town, calling others to receive the water of life that she's been offered. And many of the Samaritans from that town Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. If we're Christians here today, then we have the living water of the Holy Spirit bubbling away in us, pointing us to Christ, reminding us of the joy of salvation through the work of the cross. Is that joy bubbling over in us? Do we want to tell others about it? 
Do we want to invite others to receive living water? Can we not wait to share the good news of Jesus with our neighbours and our friends and our colleagues? Jesus went out of his way to invite a woman considered by society to be nothing, to offer her the greatest gift. Surely, don't we want to do the same with the people we meet? As we finish, I want to read a part of a testimony from a Christian celebrity who is a made a success who, after outlining some of his worldly successes in terms of money and pleasure and fame, he said this, I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply my tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of the living water that Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Are you thirsty for the living water that Christ offers? Because you need never be thirsty again. Are you drinking from the right sources in your life? that brings life, because you need never be thirsty again. Jesus offers living water to us, to you and to me. Are we going to leave him sat on the edge of a well? Or are we going to listen and receive that gift that he offers and drink and keep drinking? and be transformed to the people of God that he longs for us to be, forgiven and healed with life in all its fullness and hope for an eternal future with him. Let's just be quiet for a moment and come to the one that provides living water. Ask him to fill you again. I'm going to watch a song, a video of a song, with words to help us draw near to Christ. Draw near and give him our thirst, give him our longings, give him our dreams, give him our sadnesses, and ask him to fill us to overflowing.